0: Oh. hi welcome to truly fabulously
1: monstrous a podcast about true crime and cryptids i am half your host hattie james i am your other half of your host ace hi ace hi hattie how are you well it's friday yes friday the 13th so that's cool yes. but it has been a week
0: it yeah. has been a week Last week when we recorded on Friday, and it had been a week. This has been a weekier week.
1: <laughs> yeah, this was one of those weeks where on uh like I was at work on Tuesday, I'd be like, man, this week is dragging on. My coworkers are like, it's Tuesday. I'm like, don't tell me that. <laughs> yeah. Uh,
0: so last week I thought was my Murphy's Law Week, but I, I was wrong. This week was my Murphy's
1: Law Week. The Murphy's <laughs> Law just <laughs> continues. Uh I, I once saw a poster it was it wasn't just Murphy's Law it was like Murphy's Caveats or something but there were like all these other things that went along with it I don't know if that was just somebody being funny or but they were all like oh yeah oh okay yeah that's accurate
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh yeah uh the the icing on on the cake so far has been I got on your butt uh the last time You did a true crime for having six pages of single space notes about an (laughs) absolute bummer. And I'm going to warn y'all right now, I have six pages of single space notes that are an absolute bummer.
1: Well, 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 how the (laughs) turntables. Yes.
0: And on top of that, to add insult to injury, I printed them. I put them on my table. And as I was telling you, Ace, um, I turned around and my child got cheese all over them. So luckily I backed them up to my Google Docs but i have to now read on a screen like this close to my face because i'm old in case the, the listeners you can't see what i'm doing i'm holding the, the screen like six inches from my face
1: <laughs> i think of fun things we can talk about
0: should we say fun things to talk about till afterwards because when i say this is going to be i'm going to say like i think i need to put the first ever actual trigger warning on this because i'm this goes into like rape and mutilation this is probably the most intense thing I've ever covered.
1: Okay, we can say fun things for the end. Like um, Karen and Georgia style. Do a fucking hooray. At the end. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Should I just start? Yeah. Let's just, let's, okay. let's do it. Let's get into it. Oh. I'm going to let you
0: know. So this is, this is my disclaimer. This is a story I heard in the past and I heard it as something like a fun ha-ha story because I only had like. 2% of the facts. So when I went into writing my notes, I started it as a oh, it's a bummer, but it's a fun ha. And so my <laughs> <I'm> notes. <bummer. laughs> so my my notes seem cheery, like at the beginning, because mm-hmm. I started my notes on I'm back on the bummer train. This time I'm picking you on the bummer tour.
1: So I'm glad I'm not the only one who writes their notes like that. But I'm like, I'm gonna be funny in my notes. <laughs> yes. <laughs>
0: Okay, so this is a cross New England train ride. So it's the the bummer train goes, it starts in Quebec and it goes all the way down. We're going to follow the railroad. Mm -hmm. So let's start in Quebec because it's 1874 and in 1874, that is the start of the Central Vermont Railway. So we're going to take the Central Vermont Railway to a major railway hub, the city of St. Albans, Vermont, or at the time, the town of St. Albans, Vermont. 22 rail lines go through the city by 1874, and Worthington Curtis Smith, the president of CV Railway, and his family own half the railway and come from a very affluent family called the Smith family. So we're going to get off the bummer train here. This seems like a good place to start our story. (laughs) So St. Albans, as well as being a huge railroad hub, is also very rural and the main economic source next to the jobs the railway brings is agriculture. And for this reason, a lot of people did the same trek I just put in your brain at the beginning of this. And they start in Quebec and they meander their way to St. Albans and the surrounding towns and either settled down on their own farms or become kind of migrant farm workers. If people didn't come down from French Canada in order to work on farms, they usually took jobs at mills because this is a huge milling area. There's marble, there's... Uh, grain, there's textiles. There's there's a lot of mills as well. Because I know that when you we were talking about the bummer, you went into like the, the actual like region. Um, this area is across, across the Missisquoi Valley and the Champlain Valley. And before it was taken over by white men, it was the Abenaki tribe. Uh, and then the white men came and were like, no, name it after a place in England, St. Albans
1: like the white men do like the white men do so
0: uh most of the french canadian families uh settled
1: <laughs> they either do that or they wait a little bit and then go let's honor the heritage of this place and we'll change everything back to indigenous names only we don't know how to pronounce them so they're going to be horribly mispronounced for the rest of history aka like 90% of new jersey <laughs> yeah yeah. As you go up the parkway and people are like, that's a town name, and I'm like, I'm pretty sure that is not how the Lenape people pronounce that, but, you know, you're... it's What's the... From from Fresh Prince when he's like, oh, he's a little confused, but he got the spirit. Yeah. <laughs>
0: like, um. Okay. <laughs> not sure if that's the case in the St. Albans area. Um, no, because they, they, they were
1: like, the, let's name it after England.
0: I mean... They kept the river named Missisquoi, but then the lake's named Champlain, and that's after Samuel de Champlain. So they kind of, it seems like a little bit of a mix of the two. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so a lot of the French-Canadian families uh, who settled on the hill, which is now conveniently, from all records I can find, called French Hill. And the families who lived on the hill would send their kids up the road across the tracks and down to number two schoolhouse for their education. Marietta Ball was the daughter of a widower named George Ball, and he was the butcher and a produce dealer in the St. Altman's area. And in 1971, Marietta was studying the dressmaking trade. One of the sources I found says that around this time, she was almost accosted, like a man started chasing her home and she barely made it home in time. Uh, but she still, even despite that, decided, I'm just going to walk around alone at night because without a chaperone, without an escort, because uh, that's what I do. And in 19, around the same time, she was 17 years old, her father's health began failing. And whether it was because she needed a more stable income with the income of her father faltering or because she decided dressmaking wasn't her thing, instead of becoming a dressmaker, she decided to become a schoolteacher. And in 1874, was working as the schoolmistress at number two schoolhouse. Okay. For the most part, Marietta was popular among her pupils and their families, Uh, There's a podcast that I I listened to about this and I I read the transcript uh, called These Dark Mountains and they called her energetic and young. uh, And they said that at the time she was only 20. uh, And the only problem she really had was a local French Canadian family named the Revoirs were angry at her because she had to punish one of their children. Didn't go into detail about what this punishment was or why the kid needed punishment. uh, But for the most part, other than that, she was a well-liked lady. So... Marietta lived during the week at a boarding house owned by Mr. Abel, uh, but run by his wife, Mrs. Abel. However, probably because she probably didn't feel comfortable around the French-Canadian families. It should be noted that around this time, French-Canadian families were stigmatized very similarly very similarly to the way we stigmatize Mexican families.
1: Ah, Okay.
0: So whether it was a prejudice, whether it was disagreements with the people, whether it was anything, she a lot of the sources indicated that she didn't quite feel comfortable staying there. So when she wasn't working, so on the weekends, uh, she was known to go to her friend, Mrs. Clara Page, and her husband, Foster Page's farm on Fairfield Road, which was about a mile and a half down the road from number two schoolhouse. Uh, But according to the New England Historical Society, she would often stay in town on Saturdays. My speculation would be maybe she was visiting her father, but it didn't really go into much detail. Uh, And then she would just arrive on Sundays to the pages to go to church with them. And her trek from the pages to the boarding house and the school was all, because this was a rural agricultural area, farm pastures and wooded paths. Makes
1: sense. Makes sense.
0: So on Friday, July 24th, 1874, Marietta dismissed her students for the day and then left with her overnight things, implying that she was going to be either going into town or going to the pages for the night. Uh, She walked the Collins children home as they lived along the way and parted with them at around 3.30 that afternoon and was last seen walking toward a wooded path that notably led to the page farm. No one thought it was weird the next day when she wasn't seen in town. They figured she was at the Pages. Yeah. And the Page family didn't suspect anything when she didn't show up that night because they figured she was in town. Oh, no. It wasn't until she was a no-show at church did the Pages make an inquiry and the town's folks realized that the schoolteacher was missing.
1: That's like... It's like in like the 90s when you're trying to sneak out as a kid that like you and your friends you're like we're gonna sneak out I'm gonna tell your parents that I'm at your house and you'll tell your parents that you're at my house and no one will suspect a thing yeah. until like one of the parents calls the other parent it's like can I talk to my kid and they're like what are you talking about your kids at your house
0: yeah except this is a little more morbid than that yeah
1: yeah it's just same vibes only darker
0: yeah so a search party was immediately formed and the search began. They started at the schoolhouse and they essentially traced the steps she was known to take. They're like, okay, so she'd go this way if she goes if she was going to town. She would go this way if she was going to the pages. She would go this way if she was going to Mrs. Um, Abel's mm-hmm. boarding house. And it didn't take long for them to find her. Oh, no. Her body was found oh. in the woods along a path that led to the page farm not too far off from where the Collins children last saw her. Oh, no. It was said in the newspapers, and I quote, her head was mangled as if beaten with stones, and the evidence of outrage to her person was unmistakable. Ah. This is proper 1800 speak for she was raped and mutilated.
1: Mm, I don't like it.
0: Yeah, and the only evidence that they could find, of course it was 1874, what kind of evidence were they really going to find? DNA evidence? Ha! Huh? The, the only other thing they found was there was a homemade mask that was a little ways off of her body. So they figured the assailant wore a mask, and it got ripped off in the struggle. Okay. Um, so a $3,000 reward was offered to anyone who could identify the murderer. The first suspect was a man from Boston who was arrested shortly after for robbing a jewelry store in Richmond, which is a town about 40 miles away from St. Albans. However, they couldn't connect anything about him to the case. Uh, They also at one point suspected a local farmhand named Joseph LePage, who not only had a seedy reputation, but was also found to have scratches on his face. Uh, So they arrested him to inquire him and interrogate him, but he wouldn't crack And then his son gave him an alibi. So due to lack of evidence and the fact that he had an alibi and a scratch on his face doesn't mean he killed someone, they they let him go. It should be noted that this is an area that at this time, like this kind of crime was extremely rare. And around the same time, a man named Joseph Menard was mugged on his way from Holyoke, Massachusetts, to his home in Canada and died in the area. So now the town's reeling from two murders. Oh, no. (laughs) But obviously the um, raped and mutilated school teacher is a little bit more.
1: (laughs) That one's gonna stick around in like the papers and stuff.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So it it was for this reason that the two detective who were assigned the case do not ask me their names. One source said their names, but this source wasn't exactly reliable. So I didn't really use it. But they decided to book down and work as hard as possible to solve the case. Uh, But as the weeks passed and the police bill racked up to upwards of $300, and this is $300 in 1874 money, um, the reward was upped to $6,000. Yeah, the case began to grow cold. And from this cooling, the whispers started. And those whispers said, it was George Smith. If you remember... This is the second Smith I've mentioned. So let me tell you a little bit about the Smiths. We got to start with the grandpa. So John Smith, not to be confused with the awful, awful John Okay, Smith. I was
1: going to be like, like John Smith that Disney tried to convince me was a Disney prince? Listen, listen, listen. He was not a Disney prince.
0: This, this dude was born August 12th, 1789 in the 16th the 15th, 16th, 17th, 18th. John is a very popular name and they happen to be called the Smiths.
1: Smith is also a very popular name.
0: Yes. So John Smith was an American. (laughs) He was an American businessman and politician. At some point in his life, he became a lawyer. And by 1826, he was the state's attorney for Franklin County, Vermont. Franklin County is the county in which St. Albans and the adjoining towns reside. In 1827, he became a member of the Vermont House of Representatives and served as Speaker of the Vermont State House from 1831 to 1833. He was elected to the 26th United States Congress in 1839, but lost his reelection in 1840. And at this point, he decided to help pioneer the Vermont and Canada Railroad, which would later be named the Central Vermont Railway. Uh, in 1814, he married Maria Waitskill Curtis of the St. Albans Curtises Uh, because the Curtises were another affluent family, and they had seven children. Their second child, Jay Gregory, was born in 1818, and their fourth child, Worthington C. Smith, was born in 1823. Uh, And those were two of the the children we're going to focus on in the backstory of the Smiths. Worthington served on the U.S. House of Representatives and went on to become directly related to many politicians across America, as his son became a Colorado state senator, and his great grandson was William Scranton, and that's the William Scranton, governor and congressman from Pennsylvania.
1: Okay, that, yep, that's a familiar name.
0: Yeah, uh, so Jay Gregory, so his oldest son, his second child, was a trustee of the newly renamed Central Vermont Railroad by the time of his father's death, and under him and Worthington's lead, over 150 miles of railway were built, um, and Jay Gregory was elected to Vermont Senate in 1858, the Vermont House in 1860, and then was elected governor in 1863. All right. Now this bad. was my this Not was my bad. favorite part researching this. The northernmost point of the Civil War was uh, called the Saint Albans Raid. It was when a bunch of Confederates decided to go up to Canada, come down, rob a bunch of banks, and then like go back up to Canada. It didn't work.
1: It failed. Yeah, clearly it didn't work.
0: Yeah. Um, but. His, they decided on the way back up to Canada, they were going to raid and pillage his house, his very big mansion with a very gaudy name. Uh, there were there were two mansions. I couldn't figure out which one was his and which one was his son's, but one of them was called Seven Acres.
1: Oh, let's not go to that mansion. Let's go to the other mansion. Yeah. This has a better view.
0: They were next door to each other. One was called Seven Acres and the other was called The Towers oh my god so whichever one the belong-
1: next door mansions yes. so which
0: whichever one belonged to jay gregory they decided that they were gonna go and he was not home his wife and his youngest children were okay but his wife was Anne eliza Brainerd, again of the st albans Brainerds, another affluent family i'll get into her in a minute she opened the front door with a pistol in her hand <laughs> looked at these Confederates and they went, hmm, best not, and ran away. And here's the thing. Afterwards, when people interviewed her about this, the pistol was unloaded. <laughs> I'm going to take a moment to say that, for what I can tell, Anne Brainerd Smith was a badass. She was the daughter of Senator Lawrence Brainerd and the wife of, obviously, the wife of J. Gregory Smith. Um, but she was also an author and a very well-known author at the time. Okay, and when her father died, Jay Gregory, who was pioneering out west with his railroad, chartered a town and named it Brainerd, Minnesota, in honor of his wife.
1: I will tell you the reason my face is doing this. um okay. just the you said the name Brainerd. The you know on TikTok, the guy that does all of the skits about all the states, like he yes. all the states. Yeah, his name is Brainerd. He, that's Ben Brainerd wonder if he's related to them i don't know because that sounds like the, the sort of chaotic florida energy <laughs> that he just exudes with his every breath yeah just
0: like no, the, hey
1: fuck around and find out this isn't I'm, loaded you don't know that <laughs> yeah um
0: all right so jay gregory had two sons that i could find edward curtis smith who went on to become the governor in, of vermont in 1898 following a daddy's footsteps. And his other son was a man named George Smith.
1: The family business. Yeah.
0: So back to the crime. We have this affluent family.
1: Right. The horrible, horrible crime we're talking about. Yeah. So we have this affluent family,
0: governors, statesmen, presidents, and trustees to the railway, owners of half the railway. And there was the son of not only A. Smith, but of a Brainerd being implicated. I started writing these notes before I realized what was going on in the news so I literally put to put a monoscope on this imagine if a Cuomo was implicated in a heinous crime (laughs) because this family because this family was as big and affluent as the Cuomos
1: Uh,
0: and then I put can you imagine I actually totally enough yes (laughs) yeah well the smiths (laughs) didn't have to imagine because soon the whispers became rumors became witnesses stepping forward i saw george smith frequently visiting mrs abel's boarding house during the week there was a dance at bakersfield that's another town like next door a couple towns over from st albans there was a dance at bakersfield and george smith showed up insulted and then threatened marietta i saw it with my own two eyes
1: i saw it with the devil with the
0: I saw a coach rush past Fairfield Road at the time Marietta would have died, it was undoubtedly George Smith's coach. So one of the detectives mentioned that they were, and I quote, certain George Smith was involved, end quote. I mean, an affluent, powerful, rich family certainly had the means to cover up for such a heinous crime. And especially since if the accusations proved correct, the family would have a lot to lose. Especially since one of the members was in politics, the other one was trying to get into politics, and then the uncle was in politics, and all the cousins were in politics. There was a lot riding on him not getting implicated in this heinous crime. So I should say that at this point, a year had passed.
1: Yeah, okay, yeah. In- we're
0: in July of 1875 and George Smith's had enough of the rumors and he demanded a public hearing. Now, this apparently is sort of a town hall. He basically said, I'm holding a town hall, the public can come by, police show up and bear witness. I want the witnesses to come forward. We're going to treat it like we're going to treat it like a crime scene. I want the witnesses to come forward and I want my people to come forward. And then at the end, you're going to make a decision whether you're going to arrest me or not. So the hearing commenced and witness after witness came forward and as the hearing continued, the case against George Smith fell apart. All of a sudden the witness who said, oh yeah, he was at the, the dance at Bakersfield another one came forward. He was not at that dance. He had never been to a dance in Bakersfield. I was at the dance I didn't see him at Bakersfield. He never visited the boarding house. I've never I never saw him at the boarding house i I
1: was there all the time. He was never there. I was always at the board I was always. Twenty four seven three sixty five. No, like, I never closed my eyes. It was probably it was house.
0: probably another lodger at the boarding house. It was right. like I never saw him there. And then the people mm. who said that they saw his carriage drive by and it was undoubtedly his carriage said, "Yeah, yeah, carriage drove by, but I can't identify for certain that it was George Smith." I I never said I could identify for certain. I just said it was a carriage and it I looked like it. I only said exactly that, but
1: it yeah. was definitely his. You can't. Oh believe
0: well, eventually the detectives. Remember, the same detectives who said, and I quote, I am certain George Smith is involved, (laughs) uh, stood up and told the public, well, I never said I believe George Smith murdered Miss Ball. I just said he may have been connected, but the evidence clearly shows he's not.
1: (laughs) Okay. 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 Okay.
0: So this bummer is obviously at this point a cold case i mean it's he, been a year he,
1: he, his family paid them off right
0: I'm, I'm only on page two of my six notes oh
1: no yeah oh, so it's, no. it's been a
0: year and after a bunch of rumors and hearsay derailed the case the town is now divided half thinking it was a waste of time and george didn't commit the murder the other half thinking he did but his family's power enough to si- powerful enough to silence the witnesses and it's a mess it's a bummer this poor mutilated murdered woman is not gotten justice her father ended up moving to california to be closer to his sons and died without never knowing who killed his daughter oh complete bummer okay time to board the bummer train again
1: we're oh. going further
0: south oh hooray goodbye st albans we're taking the central vermont railroad to new hampshire and then we're gonna hop on the Portsmouth to concord railroad and go to Suncook, new hampshire So Suncook is a census-designated place rather than a town. However, according to Wikipedia, we are now in Merrimack County, New Hampshire.
1: Oh, heck yeah. Okay. I know where that is.
0: And this is within the town of Pembroke, which was granted township in about 1728. So now we're at about a 150-year-old town. And Pembroke, like St. Albans, is a more rural area. Just like St. Albans, there's a large, or a lot of the economy is agriculture and milling. They have textile mills, paper mills flour mills, sawmills. And another thing Suncook has, like St. Albans, Vermont, is a fairly decent-sized French-Canadian population that is ostracized for being French-Canadian. Sucks. Yeah. So Pembroke, which, you know, is the, the town that Suncook resides in, the Pembroke had a school called Pembroke Academy, which is now a public school, but when it was first founded in 1818 until 1969 was a private academy that usually trained its students for a continued education at Dartmouth College. And one of these students was a girl named Josie Langmaid. Langmaid and her younger brother Waldo usually walked to school together every morning along with her friend who all sources just called Mrs. Fowler or Miss Fowler. <laughs> The morning of October 4th, 1875, however, Waldo was unable to walk to school with Josie because Josie was delayed leaving the house, so he left ahead in front of her. And because Josie was running late, Miss Fowler accepted a ride to school from a neighbor so that she wouldn't have to walk alone. So at 8.30 a.m., Josie set out alone to make the two-and-a-half-mile trek to school. When she didn't arrive at school, Waldo assumed Josie just decided not to go that day. But it wasn't till that afternoon when he got home and realized that Josie left for school, that he alarmed his parents, Mm. who notified the neighbors. And within a half an hour, the majority of Pembroke and Sungcook knew that Josie was missing and a search party was organized. Sources say that over 100 men searched the woods between the Langmaid home and the Pembroke Academy. And as it got dark, the men took up torches and continued the search. They were not going home till they found her. And unfortunately, at nine at night, the body of Josie Landmaid was found less than half a mile from the academy in the woods off of the academy road. Her, okay, I need to like, her clothes were said to have been torn bloody and her body mutilated. Her head had been cut off and the postmortem showed not only signs of sexual assault, but that it was clear that her Her head was cut off due to her throat being slit while she was alive that deep.
1: Oh, my God. And
0: her head was found away from her body. (sighs) There were also items of hers, such as a ring and a few other tokens that were missing.
1: Mm.
0: Immediately, the town and police began to look for suspects because this was absolutely heinous. Whoever did this was an absolute monster. Like, I know our podcast is called Truly Fabulously Monstrous. This is truly monstrous. There's nothing fabulous about this. No. And I'm sorry.
1: No.
0: (laughs) So the first suspect to come to light was a neighbor called William, or Bill, Drew. So a rumor spread that Josie told her teacher, Miss Bell Lake, that she was scared because Bill Drew had, quote unquote, grossly insulted her and then threatened to kill her and cut her into pieces if she told her father about it. Uh, Bill was a 24-year-old man, and he lived in a shack with his wife up in the woods and was considered a disreputable character or a 'er ne'er-do-well. The reason for this is, according to Murder by Gaslight, uh, he was alleged to have a habit of grossly insulting women in the form of making improper remarks to young women when he got them alone. And my guess is these remarks were the gross insults in that Josie, threatened to tell her father and he said don't you dare I'll cut you to pieces so this was enough evidence for the police to arrest him for two reasons one for fear that he would flee because he was kind of a vagabond he lived in a shack he Mm -hmm. didn't really have roots down and two because they got word that a lynch mom was forming to get him and his friend Charles Moore who was also arrested as an accessory
1: I don't like lynch mobs
0: yeah, you're really not going to like it when you realize that Charles Moore was only arrested because he knew William Drew and he was a black man.
1: I, oh, uh, yeah. okay, don't like that.
0: Yeah, soon, however, do you remember how Marietta Bell, going back up to St. Albans, she would stayed at a boarding house uh-huh. run by Mrs. Abel? Well, Mrs. Abel's husband was Mr. W. N. Abel, and he was a member of the St. Albans Select Board. And within a few days of this gruesome murder, news had gone through the newspapers all throughout New England, and Mr. Abel was reading the newspaper, and he realized that Joseph LePage, the man who was arrested initially for the murder of Marietta Ball, mm-hmm. the guy who had the scratch on his face and his son gave him mm-hmm. the alibi, he moved to Suncook only a few months before Josie died. Oh. And the two murders were strikingly similar. A woman walking alone, <laughs> raped and mutilated, and then her body left in the woods not far from where she was taken.
1: <sighs>
0: so he immediately wired the selectmen of Suncook with this information. And according to Murderpedia, Mr. Fowler, the father of Josie's friend, had hired LePage. To help tender his threshing machine. And he kept asking questions about Miss Fowler, Josie's friend, including where she went to school and how she got there. And this is the thing Fowler's son, being quote unquote unsuspecting, but in my words, a fucking dumbass, took LePage outside and showed him the exact route his sister took to school with her friend Josie. Oh. So once dude. Mr.
1: Dude. Yeah. Dude
0: so once mr drew and his friend mr moore's alibis were all cleared they went after lepage at his home where he was residing with his wife and four of their five kids they found a knife a pair of bloody straight razors that were hidden on a shelf and blood stains on his jacket and vest they also found a boot with with blood stains on it and the boot matched an impression they found on the face of josie
1: straight razors straight razors that's so much worse than a knife oh my god they're ah ah not only sorry, did he have straight razors are, Ooh.
0: yeah not only ah. did he have no alibi but he was in fact seen going in the direction of the murder that morning so on october 13th 1875 lepage was arrested so boy howdy settle down for this one i'm about to tell you the story of this man So he was born Joseph Paget in 1838 in a settlement that was about 50 miles Northwest of Montreal in Canada. His parents were French immigrants and very well-respected in the area. And Joseph grew up on his parents' farm and resided there till he was about 20 and he got married. The only thing I could find about his wife is that she was three years older than him. Scandalous. (laughs) Uh, So him and his wife had five children together, but by the time Paget was 25, he had a bad reputation. His reputation was for, quote-unquote, abusing both his wife and his daughters, especially his eldest daughter. And according to Wikipedia, he hung around vile people. On October 12, 1867, Paget was in St. alexandre Quebec, when a woman, Mrs. George Founty, and her teenage daughter Minnie passed him. Paget was seen to have been following them, speaking obscenely to them, at which time Mrs. Founty turned around and essentially told them to mind his business before they got him arrested. Mm. And Pache stumbled, like stomped back to the post office. And it basically said something along the lines of, if the woman didn't have him hauled up, they would be sorry sometime. And then he left and he went down a field. People know that this field, when you get to the end of it, it immediately intersects where these two women were walking or this this woman and her 16 year old daughter mm-hmm. so the next morning Mr. George Founty formed a search party when he realized that his wife and his daughter never returned from their errand oh. and they were found murdered many raped and mutilated under a brush of a, a brush pile off the main road Paget was never suspected in the murders but Founty always knew it was him In 1871, Paget raped and nearly murdered his sister-in-law, Julianne Rose, so his wife's sister. He was actually arrested for this one, uh, but he escaped police custody and grabbed his wife and children and took them down to St. Albans, Vermont, where he went by the name of Joseph Parrish. In In 1872... He decided it was safe to move back to his former residence in Canada, but had to flee again only a month later after unsuccessfully attempting to lure a 14-year-old girl into the woods, Mm. at which point he packed up his stuff, went back to St. Albans, and began going by Joseph LePage and worked various jobs as a farmhand and woodsman around the hill.
1: So he attacked and killed the woman and her daughter because he was harassing them and she she told them to fuck off i guess so the unfortunate trend in like our current time of uh men brutally attacking women for telling them no is not a new development yeah that's always been good to know
0: yeah so at this point at this point, I should mention, though, the French Canadian community was absolutely up in arms. They believed that LePage was only arrested for being French Canadian, especially since the press at this time had named him the French monster. OK,
1: that's there's plenty of monstrous things about him. The fact that he's French is not one of them.
0: Yeah, mm. it's awful. It was 1875. It didn't, no,
1: sorry, the name the French monster. It sounds like an off-France Sesame Street character.
0: Oh, don't bring. this. I know. Street I know, I'm Sorry, I'm
1: just. It's an unfortunate name, and they could, they should could have done better. I'm just. Okay.
0: So, I'm going to reiterate that French Canadians at this time were treated very similarly to the way we treat Mexican immigrants. There was people trying to say that they weren't shouldn't be allowed in the country. Going yada yada yada, you're stealing our jobs. Uh, they. I grew up circle. So I grew up, grew up in New England. And I grew up within 50 miles of the French Canadian border. And I can tell you that this is still so ingrained that I grew up calling people from Quebec something that I'm not going to repeat that I didn't know was a slur until I got to college. Because it's so ingrained to be like that to people from French Canada, even to this day.
1: I grew up in like the mid-Atlantic area, like like the Philadelphia area not that extreme but yeah very similar yeah like oh no of course look at that person that can't drive of course they can't drive look at their license plate oh god yeah for the summer and why they speak english and i'm like are really we're still doing this really
0: so basically they were saying that this was an abuse of power in which they were using a Frenchman as a scapegoat and some of them even tried to fake alibis to get him out of it like that's how much oh, they thought no. that he was being just targeted
1: they didn't uh, pick up on the fact that he was like a literal like pedophile monster
0: well he had never he, he was never even suspected in the the bounty crime. No um, one came forward like no one even knew about that at this point. The only thing that people knew about was at the time of his arrest, his wife mentioned the rape of her sister and they wired up and got the sister to come down for the trial. Ah, oh. um, so they saw it as an abuse of power in which they were using a French Canadian as a scapegoat, just as Moore was arrested earlier for being black. But regardless,
1: I can see their reasoning.
0: Yeah. Regardless, though, he was indicted for murder on October 28th, 1875. So we're talking like two weeks have passed. This was swift justice. They indicted him. That's
1: pretty quick. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So when he was arrested, LePage's son rescinded the alibi he gave his father in St. Albans. And like I said, his wife came clean about the rape of her sister in 1871. So at this point, now he's being indicted. They're realizing that he is connected to Marietta Ball and that he has a history of raping women and trying to kill them. So at the trial, which began on January 4th, 1876, Julian Rouse, that's uh, his wife's sister, testified to his previous crimes of raping and attempting to murder her. She also stated that at the time, he wore a homemade mask, which she had ripped off his face. And this was important because her description of the mask was very similar to the mask found near Marietta Ball's body in St. Albans. Witnesses came out who claimed they saw him walking along the road the day of the murder of Josie carrying a club or an ax. Now remember, he's only being tried for Josie's murder,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: which is why when he was found guilty and sent to sentenced to death the french canadian community rallied and demanded a retrial which his attorney appealed on the grounds that julianne's testimony and all the testimony about his connection with the marietta ball case was not related to the crime he was being accused of in Suncook.
1: the prosecution probably yeah. tried to
0: argue that it's to show proof of character
1: yeah that's what i gonna say i see i see both sides of that argument like yes technically that is not what he's on trial for and the evidence that they're presenting should be like evidence directly related to what he is directly on trial for but at the same time if it's like building a case of character that all those previous things go to show the type of person he is because past behavior is indicative of future decisions
0: well, regardless of what you or I think, the New Hampshire Supreme Court agreed with his attorney, and he was tried a second time. And they threw out all the evidence of Julianne Rouse. They threw out all the evidence of Marietta Ball. It was only the stuff related to his connection to Josie Langmate's case. So, Okay. Well, the second trial had no different of an outcome. Even without Julian's testimony, even without the connection to the Marietta Ball case, he was found guilty of first-degree murder of Josie Langmaid and sentenced to death. Okay. The day before he was set to be executed, LePage gave his confession to two different Catholic priests from the French community, who convinced him to give his confession to the secular authorities. He then confessed to the police, and I'm not—I'm not going into the details about Please his don't. confession. No. <laughs> But I will say that he did admit to raping and murdering both Marietta Ball and Josie Langmaid. And he stated that Langmaid was not his intended target. Her friend Miss Fowler was. He said that he was waiting for Miss Fowler. But because remember when when Josie didn't show up to walk with her, she got a ride from a neighbor. Uh So when Josie came alone, he was so frustrated at the fact that his intended target was not there, he took it out on her and attacked her anyways. He also stated that he took a separate path, not the academy roads. So those who testified that they saw him that morning with a club or an ax walking down the road had to either have been mistaken or flat out lying. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Uh, Then they showed him a map and not only did he outline to the authorities exactly the path he took and where he committed the crime, But he also circled on the map exactly where the authorities could find the items of Josie Langmaids that he stole, such as her ring and trinkets. When they went out to the woods, to the exact spot on the map, they found them, which proved that he did, in fact, kill her. And the fact that he confessed to her case in Marietta Ball's case, he killed them. So the next day on March 15th, 1867, Joseph LePage was hanged in concord new hampshire witnesses to the execution say that he went with a what seemed like a calm mind and a clear conscience having confessed his sins and he dropped six feet but he didn't die instantly he died slowly although seemingly peacefully as he did not stir or twitch the whole time and then it was after his execution that mr george Founty let Sun cook authorities know of the rape and murder of his wife and daughter which i had already detailed and that's the story of Joseph LePage and his four-plus victims.
1: Oof. Oof.
0: Yeah. See, the story I was told was, oh, a schoolteacher in St. Albans, Vermont, was murdered, and the famous affluent family's rich son was implicated. Oh, boy! So that's what I was going in to do. And that's what I found instead. So da, 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 (laughs) da.
1: (laughs) Oof. You weren't (laughs) kidding.
0: (laughs) No.
1: Bomber Central.
0: Da, 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 da. Uh, So sources I used were the Dark Mountains podcast, uh, the New England Historical Society, Wikipedia, Murderpedia, and a website called Murder by Gaslight. So what about happy fun things to brighten uh, us up from Bummersville McBummertown? Actually the bummer train to Bummersville and Bummertown.
1: Oh Bummer Cliff into Bummer Canyon. <laughs> yeah. Um uh happy things. Um it's the weekend. I mean I work this weekend, but whatever. Um I'm trying to look up a horrifying fact to be like
0: <laughs> horrifying fact. I think I need to put the word skull there.
1: Uh, Horrifying fact. Um, Do you remember like in like 2012 on Tumblr, there was the scandal of the person that was like buying human bones, like through unethical sources. Yeah. And you know how there's the joke going around that TikTok is just Tumblr happening all over again. Yeah.
0: I saw a brief, I
1: don't know what it was about. Oh, there's a whole thing happening on TikTok right now of just like, A guy who just, like, is selling human bones. And while the sale of human, like, bones is not technically illegal... When the bones are, like, of indigenous people, then yes, it very much is illegal, and there's, like, a whole weird scandal thing happening about, like, the providence of some of the bones he's selling, and where did he get them, and what is happening, and why doesn't anyone in his company, like, he doesn't have any historians listed, it's weird, it's weird, it's basically my entire 4 page has been jumping <laughs> this guy and people stitching his videos and being like, my dude, what are you doing? So um, yeah, TikTok is just Tumblr 2.0. I can't wait for DashCon 2. Let's see what we have instead of a ball pit this time.
0: To my unsettling fact, at one point I had 80 teeth in my body Oh God! because I have 28 teeth in my mouth because I lost my wisdom teeth. And yes, I did just count by running them across to make sure I was counting correctly. (laughs) And the average baby has every tooth that's ever going to be in their body in their mouth. So that means they have not only 32 adult teeth, but 20 baby teeth, which Uh equals 52 teeth. So 52 plus 28 is 80. So when my baby was fully formed in the womb, I had 80 teeth and freaking 500 bones
1: that's too many bones you're being selfish with the amount of bones
0: Uh, they're gone now i only have like what my my 200 your original
1: bones (laughs) um going again i don't want to be the person that's just like i saw a thing on tiktok um but i mean i i sent you that that video where it's like it's the reason the weird the, the weird reason that you personally don't want to be pregnant and I sent you the one that's a person like that's too many bones I've made all those bones and I don't get to keep them my weird reason if I were just at 70 would be like I don't want to have that many teeth in a part of my <laughs> body that's not my skull yeah I just don't. I just don't ever want to know that I have teeth in my womb unless I have like some kind of weird teratoma growing in there that I don't know about that there's already teeth in there and I can't do anything about it I
0: thought you had to, like a teratoma was like a, a petrified miscarriage.
1: No, I thought a teratoma is just like a growth in your body oh. that's got like that's like when you hear then people be I like, I had a I had a cyst removed and it had teeth and hair in it. Like it's just oh. like a it's just like a growth oh. that could like cause it's got stem cells in it so it can like start growing stuff. I thought that's what a teratoma was.
0: Then what am I thinking of?
1: I don't know, but now I'm gonna look it up <laughs> to the internet. Yeah, Teratoma is, uh, well, okay, well, first of all, apparently it's a landscaping company in France. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking- That's I'm, an unfortunate I'm, name for your landscaping company. I'm <laughs> um, thinking
0: of a Lithopedian.
1: Ah, uh, okay. Which is a thinking.
0: calcified fetus. Okay.
1: Was, have, we, have we successfully changed the subject enough? I don't know if that was a fucking array but it sure has changed the subject.
0: It sure has changed the subject, Ace. I'm not sure if that's, if talking about Teeth growing inside cancer is much of a and me mistaking that for a calcified miscarriage is any better. But it sure is
1: different. <laughs> it's different. <laughs> Subject changed successfully. I'm fun at parties.
0: <laughs> oh okay. I'm
1: kidding. I don't go to parties.
0: Neither do if I did I'd be fun at the pandemic. I actually I didn't am go to parties going, before the pandemic. Are you kidding? Yeah, I'm actually going to a soiree on the. Hey. The, yeah, well, uh, a friend uh, of mine. A bunch of my ba- fully vaccinated friends who haven't seen me since I was very pregnant, ah. um, are going to be in town and want running a bed and breakfast. And we're doing a everyone come as a holiday. We missed. In 2020 mm-hmm. party, I um, have been assigned Easter.
1: Are these the people that I also know that were also the word I was in your wedding party with them? Those people?
0: Some of them. Some of
1: them. Okay, I think I'm, I can figure out who. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, I'm going as Easter, so I'm going to bring like a nice springy appetizer and mimosas. Nice. I'm not going to okay. drink the mimosas. Yeah. I don't drink mm-hmm. alcohol anymore, but alcohol.
1: Alcohol. <sighs> Anyway, where can people find us?
0: Uh, If you have any questions, comments, concerns, sweet nothings, stories, beautiful Mm -hmm. hellos, you can email us at trulyfabulouslymonstrous at gmail.com. You can also find us on Instagram at trulyfabulouslymonstrous. And you can find us on Twitter at tfabmonsterpod. And Jordan, we're almost to the end of this season.
1: Oh, That's right, we're doing season
0: three. We have one more week! (laughs) And then we get to figure out what's going on for season three. Um, So join us for our last cryptid of the season that's going to be told by me.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Spooky. Spooky. We'll be there and we hope you will too.
0: Bye. Bye.